Welcome to the Relentless Minds podcast with Lori Jimenez, a platform where influential entrepreneurs get real and share their stories of challenges in life that they've had to face head on and conquer in order to be where they are today. Here, you'll get an inside look at the adversities that these individuals have experienced or are currently dealing with, in addition to their opinions on real life matters and philosophies in life. Most importantly, you'll learn what it takes to have a relentless mind so that you too can stay headstrong in your pursuit of a better future. In this podcast, you're going to get 100% authenticity from people that have figured out how to beat the noise that society creates and have a higher level of self-mastery. Hi, welcome back to my podcast, Relentless Minds. Today I have with me Stefanos Zafandos. Stefanos is known as the Conscious Mentor. He facilitates transformational growth through neuroempowerment practices an integration of spiritual praxis and Western psychology to improve and enhance the quality of our lives. His mission in life is to help others reconnect with their own truth and empower them to create the abundant life that they deserve. Stefanos, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. So um, I first wanted to just ask you, can you tell us more about what you do and what your focus is on when you're mentoring your clients? I essentially really help people create a, an internal guidance or an internal navigation to see themselves for who they truly are. In short, that's what I do in the shortest way possible, just to help them see themselves for how they want to see themselves. Because we often see ourselves through the lens of others, through the lens of culture, through the lens of society. And so we lose this integral aspect of what we truly are. And we wear these masks and we wear so many masks. I've, I've been there for so, so much of my life that we actually forget who we, we are, our brilliance, our authentic nature. And so really what I help people do is just see themselves. Now, how I do that, I use various modalities and, and technologies, if you like, or techniques and practices. But that's in essence what it is. In short, it's just helping people really connect to their authentic nature and then bring that into the world because that's when we feel relief that's when we we feel full and we feel free Mm, yeah and so is that when you're talking about this neuro empowerment practices is that what you're using to help people identify who they really are yeah, part of it. I mean, neuroscience is such an expansive field. I'm, I'm learning so much about it on a daily basis. I, mm-hmm. um, I was also accepted into there's a, uh, a master's degree in neuro, uh, neuropsychobiology at, um, at London College as well, um, which is, is an amazing, amazing university uh, for brain science and psychology and so forth. And mm-hmm. so they have a, a degree there in neuroscience. And I'm very excited to be starting that in the, in the very near future as well. And so, yeah, what I, what, that's part of what I do, part of the integrated work that, that I do when I'm working one-on-one with people or even in, in a group setting. I, I love to blend Eastern mysticism with Western psychology as well. There's something really powerful about that. There's so much wisdom that is locked up and also that is released in our modern, in contemporary times through the mystics, through the ancient wisdom of whether it be Ayurvedic medicine, whether it be Vedanta, whether it be the ancient Greeks, the Egyptians, Mesopotamia, whatever it may be, there's so much wisdom, there's so much that we knew so many thousands of years ago that we can actually apply to contemporary times and how we relate to each other, how we create in the world and how we feel about ourselves. Huh. Can you give me an example of that? Like one thing that you can bring up 
that you can take back all the way yeah. to those times? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll start with something super, super simple. So the ancient Greeks believed that, especially the, the, those that were at the symposium and we philosophize deeply, they believed that a, a reflective life is a worthy life. And so what that means is that can we reflect on how we behave? At the end of every day, can we look at our day and say, hmm, did I have a good day? What constitutes a good day? Mm. Was I emotionally stable? Why is it important to be emotionally stable? Did I experience goodness in the day? Why is it important to experience goodness? Being reflective on our actions, our inner, inner world, our thoughts, our beliefs, our behaviours, being reflective on our relationships, this helps us grow. Two people can have very similar experiences in life. If one reflects attentively and with a deliberate intention, he or she is the person that grows massively in their own self. They expand into the world. The person that is not reflective doesn't learn, therefore doesn't grow, therefore doesn't create new opportunities. Now imagine that in a world today where there's seven and a half plus billion people, we live in such a diluted world. Like if you're talking about entrepreneurship or marketing or even just bringing your service or the essence of you into the world, once upon a time it was four touch points to get the attention of people and to get them to buy into how they, how they buy into your services or your products. And I'm speaking from a marketing perspective, but we're all marketing because it's all about how we relate, relatability. Mm -hmm. Now it's 16 plus, maybe 16, maybe 20, 20 touch points before they even look at you. And so in a world that is so diluted, we need a, an innovative edge. So innovation is part of that. And so when we reflect on our lives, we're innovating ourselves and we're innovating our relationships. And that gives us an edge on how we perform in the world and also what we receive, the goodness that we can receive from the world. So there's one example that's really simple that anyone can start right now, like mm -hmm. literally today. Just get, you, you can get a diary and write if you want because there's a beautiful neurological brain integration, left and right hemispherical and, and top down that, that, that occurs. We literally become smarter when we, when we write and journal. Or you can just yeah. sit in a quiet spot and think about it. Think about the magnificence of your life or think about the challenges that you face and how you could face those challenges in a different way maybe tomorrow. So that importance in, in self-reflection, even back, you know, thousands of years ago, they were bringing up that importance of how, of how it improves the quality of your life, essentially. Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, three, four thousand years ago, the ancient Greeks were talking about this. And so, when it came to your, because I was researching a little bit about your inspiration, kind of like mm. what what brought you into to creating this or or valuing this and focusing on this for other people, mm. was that you also had times where you you struggled right with this fear, and yeah. it seemed like you weren't you weren't trying to look into yourself and being honest with yourself. And that involves that reflection, right? Yeah. Well, for me, I, I look to others to, to save me. I look to others to fix me, quote unquote. I look to others to do the work for me. I didn't want to take responsibility for what I was experiencing because it was too confronting for me. And there was a fear there that was pulling me away from or pushing me away from really taking ownership of my actions and my thoughts and my beliefs that were in part and largely driving how I was being in the world. And so when I, when I stopped uh, taking 
when I stop placing the responsibility of my own life in the hands of others or, or circumstances outside of myself and began to empower myself to look at my life for who I was and what I was capable of and what I could do to make change and create transformation in my life, my life shifted immensely. Mm. And so for me, what, what was required to come to that revelation or that level of awareness for me personally were some really deep, painful experiences. I had a breakup a few years ago that was a massive catalyst for me to look at myself and who I was being in the world and how I was treating others and treating myself. I was unfaithful in that relationship. I was dishonest in that relationship. And most of my relationships prior to that as well, I was just so entrenched in fear and, and had chosen to not look at the depth of my old stuff, my childhood experiences and the trauma that I experienced as a child and the abuse and so forth. It, it, I, I didn't have an opportunity to make any change because I was refusing to look at what I needed to in order to transform. And in the process, disappointingly really hurt other people and hurt myself. I was living away from my own truth. Mm. And so for me is when I chose consciously, deliberately to empower myself with making the change was when I actually changed. Hmm. That's amazing. And you wrote that. I actually saw you post that on your, on your social media that like you, you can't shift what you can't see. Yeah. Yeah. It's we, important. What we refuse to see because sometimes we see it, but we refuse to see it because it's too painful or we don't believe it or the ego gets in the way. There's all natural defense mechanisms that keep us away from living our potential and our truth because the ego self, the world that our debt, the self, that, the aspect of self that identifies with the world and really determines its reality or our reality thrives on what's familiar, even if the familiar is toxic or unhealthy. Exactly. It's that pain point. It's those, those experiences or the emotions of, you know, if you disappointed others and looking mm. into the, how you made people feel, like that's painful. A lot of people, they just refuse that. And I know that, you know, firsthand, because that was something that I actually had to embrace fully. And when I embraced the pain points of my life, I, I saw so much growth from that, right? That ability to be vulnerable. And so you had to do that. And that's when you saw this growth. So can you tell us about, because you're um, very big on a healthier masculine approach now in society. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. Again, it really began with me. And, and so I, I began to look at my behaviors and my thought patterns and my belief systems that underpinned my actions and the way I was treating others and myself in the world, and the way I was relating to things and ideas and people. And I looked at myself and I asked that question, that reflective question of what does it mean to be a man for me? How do I want to be a man in this world? And what have some of the great men before me been, done, expressed? And so I, I began to not only devour my own personal experiences and reflect upon them and be more attentive to them and learn from them directly, learn from my own self directly, also began to devour as I continue to devour information, uh, education, uh, academia and masculinity, great men of the past that had written books and had their, their own memoirs and musings and thoughts and so forth around what does it mean to be an empowered, healthy man? And I looked at all that and I looked at my own experiences and I felt into all that and I began to change the way I did life and I began to look at myself differently and, and then reflect on that. And so the, the evolving end product, because it's consistently evolving, was me 
coming face to face with a new paradigm of masculinity. And so I created this 12 principle model called the conscious warrior, which is consistently evolving. Um, And I began to look at what does it mean to be a really healthy man in contemporary times? And why would we want to even be a healthy man in contemporary times? What, What benefit does that give us, our loved ones and society? What benefit does it give earth? So I started really looking at the the macro expansion of our behavior. So how do we as individuals affect our society at large and how does society, society's ideals influence our ideas and therefore how we act. And so I started inversing it and looking at it that way. And so two major components of being a healthy man in contemporary times. Mm -hmm. um, And there's a number of, there's a number of them and beyond the, just the 12 principles as well. But there's two components that are really powerful. For me, inclusivity and sustainability. And so inclusivity in how we treat others. We, we, we're coming less from a place of judgment and segregation. I mean, the brain compartmentalizes and judges its environment based on what it believes to be safe, based on memories and past experiences mm-hmm. and the way that the enteric system and the, and the nervous system and uh, our neurology essentially interacts with its environment. But beyond that... <clears throat> being inclusive in how we treat others, less segregation, less harsh critique, less, less harsh judgment, less oppression, less subjugation, less autocracy, less control and manipulation out of fear, moving away from all that. So being, being more inclusive in the, in our, in our dominion and demeanor, and then being sustainable. In other words, not making decisions that only satisfy short term gratification. But beyond the four-year tenure or two-year tenure of politics, because our earth cycle systems and even our life cycle systems are are far more than four years. And so making decisions in the present moment, and there's a trick to this, that have an impact on the longevity of who we are and how we treat others and how people interact with us. Now, the, 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 the bonus of that is that when we're thinking about the decisions we make today, how are they going to affect others in one year, two years, 10 years, 100 years, mm-hmm. is that we have to assess our character. Mm. That's the key. Because when we're being inclusive and we're being sustainable, it means nothing unless the intention is all around who are we and why are we being this way. So you're almost, when you're thinking that way, you're forced to step into what character do I want to be? What legacy do I want to leave behind and how do I want to behave that people remember me for in this time? And how do I want to be in the world? How do I want to show up? What do I want to give the world? And so we, we consistently, that, that allowed me to look at my character. That was powerful for me. You said something about, you know, in, in the first topic of inclusivity about how men will manipulate out of fear. Mm. Can you... That's an interesting concept because I've heard that before. Can you explain how that works? So certain, certain leaders, it's interesting, certain leaders, so manipulation is actually, a, a, it's a, manipulation is a dark, it's a, it's a dark, unhealthy, fem, it's a dark, unhealthy feminine trait or expression, manipulation. And so it's not a masculine expression. Um, but what we'll find is that some leaders in today's society, and I, I don't necessarily want to give names um, because I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to segregate and, and, and so forth. But there are certain, there are certain leaders in today's society 
largely men, there are some women, of course, as well, but largely men that actually manipulate based on fear. So these are hyper-selfish reasons. Now, mm-hmm. hyper, being hyper-selfish is a quote-unquote masculine expressive trait. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we always flux between masculine and feminine. That's the yeah. natural state of who we are because it's just, there's just balance, balance points within us. They're expressive aspects of self. It's a duality of our own reality. Mm. And, and so this manipulation that occurs, occurs out of fear. It's the will to or the, the, the yearning to change our environment or our circumstances based purely on our own motivations where we're not being considerate, we're not being inclusive, we're not being sustainable in our decision-making mm-hmm. and we're really not being compassionate or empathetic and we're not, bring, we're not being in integrity, we're not being stable in our being, we're not being what I call vertical. In other words, we're not being confident, we're not being clear, we're not being certain and if we are, we're coming from a hidden agenda, a shadow place mm-hmm. and this is an unhealthy place to be. So dark and light isn't healthy or unhealthy. Dark and light are just two aspects of uh, masculinity and femininity and then there are and it's just it's just the tonality of how it's expressed and then there's unhealthy and healthy expressions of both dark and light and so this manipulation is really something that's used to benefit oneself or one's in-group so I, I may have a political party may be an in-group and so the political party if they have very strict norms or ideals around our way is the right way and, and they have a character of being hyper-selfish and to win at all costs, then they will do what they need to do. They will manipulate the environment as best they can around them to, quote-unquote, win. Not that there's anything wrong with winning. Winning's great. Winning is great. It's how we learn. Losing, losing is great. It's how we learn. But when it's done at the expense of... Exactly. Somebody else. Other people, yeah, that's dangerous. And that's manipulation. Hmm. Okay. That's, that, I'm glad that you brought that up because that was interesting. I don't think a lot of people even realize the connection between all of that. And it's done in relationship all the time. So let me, exactly. let me I'll simplify for people in relationships. So the first stage of relationship is what can I get from this? What can I get? What can I, how can I gain? And so that's the first level of relationship, which is quite hyper selfish. And most people in relationship, whether it be an intimate romantic relationship, whether it be a business partnership, whether it be platonic, most of, most of us, we go, it's, 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 it's almost like a, um, we revert back, we regress to our childhood when we're, in our, we're a toddler, we're two or three, and we're, it's like mine, 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 mine. Exactly. What can I get? How can I? Because we're, we're, we go through that phase. And then some people don't actually come out of that and they relive that in their adult lives. Mm. Not some, probably most. And so, and so we, we, experience, we experience this yeah. and it's, it's all about hyper, being hyper-selfish. What can I get from the relationship? And, and that, what happens is when we come from that place, we get so scared that we're not gaining and we're not, we're not receiving that we become manipulative in our actions unconsciously without even knowing them. That's mm. a problem for the longevity of the relationship. It won't last. So you speak about this and I guess this kind of flows right into that about like the relationships now in contemporary times about mm. this conscious relationships. Like, what do you mean when you say conscious relationships? <laughs> yeah. So I have a few definitions for conscious relationship to really help people get clear on what I, I believe sacred union and conscious relating is or conscious mm. relationships. are. I'll start with the first. Let's assume I'll, I'll use a very simple heterosexual, uh, normative heterosexual um, uh, binary gender example. So man and woman, very simple. Not that something, a definition of uh, identifying your own gender doesn't exist beyond binary gender, male and female. It most certainly does. And not that there is only male and female intimate relationships. There's male, male, female, female, and all the other um, uh, gen- uh, gender uh, gender types there are out there, but I was going to use, just to simplify, I'll use what's, what's very common. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
a man and woman get together and they're in a conscious relationship, a conscious union, a sacred union. And the man says to himself, this is what, this is what a conscious, an elevated relationship says or asks of the relationship. This is the first definition I have. It asks first, am I growing mm-hmm. because of how I'm behaving? Mm-hmm. Second question that man asks, is my partner growing because of how I'm behaving? Mm-hmm. Third question he asks, is she growing because of how I'm behaving in this relationship? Fourth question he asks, is she growing because of how she's behaving in this relationship that's connected to me and the relationship? The fifth question he asks, is the world benefiting? Is our community, our family, our society benefiting because of how we treat each other and how we show up in the relationship? And then she asks those same questions. So the five questions a conscious relationship asks. Another definition of a conscious relationship is not that a conscious relationship is so elevated that they don't experience drama or pain or difficulty or fear. What defines a conscious relationship is their willingness, their willingness to traverse the pain, the fear, the difficulty, the challenge that they experience and how quickly they can move through it. And it's not a competition like, oh, I move, me and my partner, we move through this in three seconds and you did it in five seconds, therefore we're more conscious. Not at all. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. about willingness. How, how willing are you to really, and, and you know, you know that this relationship is for you because there's a values alignment there. You've got the clarity. Clarity is another massive component of being in a conscious relationship. You both come to the relationship with clarity and you both come to the relationship thinking and feeling that you're whole. And so that's not, not broken or in parts or halves. And for me, soulmates aren't two halves coming together, making a whole. It's two whole people intersecting. And in the middle part, they're creating the third entity, which is the conscious relationship sacred union and so that's a third that's another definition and so the segue to all of that after the willingness and the clarity is that a conscious relationship this maybe is the simplest definition mm-hmm. the conscious relationship knows that there's always going to be blue sky the blue sky is always there sometimes that's the default sometimes there are gray clouds sometimes there are white clouds but behind those clouds we can't see them but that blue sky is always there Maybe those clouds will be there for an hour or two. Maybe they'll be there for a few days, maybe for a few months. But we know that there's blue sky that's always there. We never forget that. We always remember that. We remember that the blue sky is always there. Therefore, our internal compass says we can always come back to that blue sky and it's our choice. How do we do that? Hmm. And so having that, I guess, is that supposed to like center you? Yes. Like center your thoughts? Yes, and not, and not allow our monkey minds to get the better of us. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's like despite all the noise and, you know, things that come up, obviously, in relationships, like mm. you have to remember that the foundation there should always be like that blue sky. Yeah. You know, there yeah. could be meteorites or, or, or yeah. clouds or anything coming <laughs> in or get in the way. But in the end, behind all of that, like it's the same foundation. Yes. So that, you know, conscious relationship I mean that I mean the way I see that and I love that because I agree with with the fact that the relationship should be about healing yourself, working on yourself, making sure that you also show up for the other person, right? Mm-hmm. And the other person should be also looking at that themselves. Yes. But nowadays it's like it's hard because you can't even a lot of times people are working on themselves and they fall for someone or they get involved with someone who's very unhealthy. 
and they don't even know how to recognize that. So with your experiences in regards to, you know, two people that are, are healthy or willing to grow, you know, the contrast of that and what you see today, like having, is it like a standard that they have to raise for themselves so that they can avoid these unhealthy relationships or is it even them themselves that are unhealthy and and that's why they keep falling into an unhealthy relationship. Yeah, sure. Yeah. We should always we should always take the time to look at ourselves first and begin to maybe notice some of the patterns that we're playing out. So look at our look at our key relationships in our lives, whether it be familial, platonic, or intimate romantic, mm-hmm. and, and reflect on the patterns. How have we behaved in certain situations, especially when it's become challenging or there's been arguments or it's been emotionally volatile? And what's the nature of that emotional volatility been? Has it been the same or similar arguments? How am I showing up in the arguments? How am I showing up in, in how I communicate? The communication is a massive key in this. Mm-hmm. And so that's a great starting point because then we can look at those patterns and and what underpins those patterns is generally belief systems and models of reality, the way we see the world. So, for example, if in, in some of my previous relationships, I've been every any time I felt that I was being controlled uh, in the relationship, whether and even even if it, even if the, the woman in the relationship wasn't that my partner at the time wasn't deliberately attempting to control me, just her speaking to maybe whether it be marriage or a deeper commitment or having children or any, any, any conversation around mm. deeper commitment. And, and I would associate me being controlled. Mm-hmm. I would start to panic inside of myself. And I, I didn't know why, but I would just, I would just thought, oh, that's normal. Because, you know, I'm a man and we're talking about commitment and therefore that's a normal thing that men experience. That's not the case. And so what I would do to alleviate that feeling and tension of annihilation is I would go and be with other women. I would be unfaithful. That, that's, yeah, that's exactly, instead of work, I, w- I would either do that or submerge myself into work. I'd be like a workaholic. No, some yeah, people that's... take drugs. Some people take alcohol. Yeah. I would also train excessively. So I would spend so much time challenging myself physically that I, I was too tired to even have deep conversations with my partners. Because you felt like you were losing control. Massively. And you need to regain that somehow. Correct. Exactly right. That was, it. That was one of an example of, of, of many, of course. And so it wasn't until I looked at my family dynamics and my family constellation many years ago that I re- realized that, wow, I'm simply behaving in fear based on what I observed with my parents and what I thought was real. It doesn't have to be that way. So the moment I started healing that, and going deeper into that and looking at other perspectives and knowing there's a different way to be, I began to behave very differently. I felt freer, freedom in commitment, in, if anything. I felt great freedom and joy being committed to an idea or a person or a relationship or an, a business or whatever it may be. Yeah. Until then, I had this very this push-pull, aggressive relationship with it. Gotcha. So your, your recommendation would be for people to start looking at this whole reflection thing yeah this pattern because that is going to transfer like the real dynamic that Mm -hmm. you allow in your significant other is going to reflect in the relationship that you permit with like friends like platonic relationships that you were saying even like co-workers arguments Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. sort of that whole mindset is going to reflect um and i can what i can speak to that is like for example um and i'll just put this out there like my mom she's got Mm -hmm. Um, very sense. She's a very sensitive person, right? Mm-hmm. 
And so that reflects in her relationship with us, like me, my sisters, you know, Mm -hmm. if there's something where it's like too painful, like we don't listen to some things that she recommends, like she'll reject for a moment, you know, and that reflects also even with her friends. Like if, if her friends kind of, they say something that's not nice, she'll be like, oh, they're not my friends anymore. So a hundred percent, that's a great bit of information is reflection on yourself that how that dynamic, you know, will, it transfers over, look at your relationships and, and the quality of those relationships. So that's the starting point is what you're saying. Definitely. As, as a starting point, of course. Yeah. And also getting clear on, so, so gain clarity on what we want to experience in life. You know, I thought that, oh, I want to have kids and I want to be married. And, and then I thought, oh, no, I don't want that. And um, I want to be a bachelor or I want to build business and I want to do it. Like, I was just so confused of where I went. And I was, I was in my 20s and, and I was so confused. I didn't have clarity because I didn't go deeper into what I really wanted. I didn't want to face all that because I knew, the ego knew that if I was to face all that, that truth, there is going to be some other parts of my life I'd have to unpack that were going to be very confronting. So it was easier to be in confusion. And so you've got to get clear on what you want. What are your highest values? What experiences do you want to feel in life? What pulls you out of bed in the morning? What inspires you to take action? What does that action look like? Mm -hmm. Get clear on that. And then when you show up in relationship, you show up authentically and in integrity, and you're not scared of being yourself because you trust who you are. I never trusted myself. The moment I started trusting myself was the moment my whole life really shifted positively. Why didn't you trust yourself? Because I didn't know myself. Because I wore all these masks all Mm -hmm. the time, wearing different masks to appease others. And then that frustrated me so much that I would be hyper-aggressive. In my early, in my late teens and early adulthood, I was so angry, so short-tempered and frustrated with the world because I was blaming everyone but myself. So I I would be fighting every weekend, drinking, and just, it wasn't really me. It wasn't you. Isn't that crazy? Yep. It's crazy how we can, we can um, deter, like just create a false identity. Yep. Based on what we think the world wants us to be. Yeah. We think that we need to be that way. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) And then we just go through life that way. And then, you know, and that's why even in a way like people will go through life and, and eventually they start growing and discovering themselves and then they, they the people that they were friends with before like they're just not on the same mm. on the same page with them anymore yep i i i um, i let go of i released many amazing friendships not because they did anything wrong not because i didn't love them anymore because we were just on a different path with our values and i was so firm i was so, i became so clear on who i wanted to be that i couldn't be in an environment that didn't align with me because i'd just go back to old behaviors exactly Start to make some really hard decisions so stuff like that back to old behaviors because um when it comes to what you were saying about like cheating even mm-hmm. how that was kind of something that that was something that you did and i would say that now in society it, it's not necessarily something among guys that are necessarily frowned upon so would you when it comes to the masculinity part of it um, and how it's, uh, you know, cultivating importance of cultivating a healthier masculinity, um, would you say that like you had to shed some of those relationships because they were also like encouraging this, this, this different form of or yes. view of, of how a man should act? Yes. Yes. Very well said. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. There was another, um, another guest I had on my podcast and he is on the same boat as you 
and he basically he dealt with a lot of depression in life yeah um because he was always he, he first of all he couldn't feel he didn't feel like he could express himself the emotions mm-hmm. that he was dealing with and so that put him deeper into this hole mm-hmm. and he just you know he was like this is not healthy for me i need to be myself i'm going to be the man like whoever i determine I need to be to show up for my family, for my friends. That's who I'm going to be regardless of what society says. And so I love that you're also putting this in front of, of men and sharing that. And how, how have you seen that has helped men the most when they've reached like a breakthrough, like Mm. certain thing that helps them realize, Hey, I don't actually have to be this way. Mm. There's a couple of ways that men will, or people in general will experience a breakthrough. And, and one is through desperation, depression, and destitute. Mm. And they hit rock bottom. I hit rock bottom. I, I massively, I had all the help in the world, uh, access to me uh, and I didn't take it. I had to hit rock bottom. And most, mm. most men in their stubbornness and in their fear will hit rock bottom. And then when they hit rock bottom and they really feel they've hit rock bottom, they'll either commit suicide or they'll seek for help. And so the next phase of that is actually surrounding themselves with very intelligent, what I call intelligent and, and adaptive support support that can meet their needs and meet them where they're at and see them where for who they are and not be judgmental and not and not be not be critical and be compassionate and there's nothing more than the nurturing essence and the the compassion and the non-judgment of a beautiful a beautiful feminine presence to really help a man shift through mm. that pain and into a greater expression of himself where he can then serve his highest path and then of course the path of those in his life as well and of course the the the, the divine feminine mm. in that sense yeah we didn't touch too much on the feminine but the feminine energy there is like there is that balance right that mm. unity that is mm. super important for that relationship to thrive is, yes. is each of them, they have their roles of balance of the masculine yes. and the feminine energy, but within themselves, they have also masculine and feminine energy. Yes. Right. Yes. And I think that's what society doesn't even, that's, that's the issue nowadays is that, and, and it stems from, from, from years ago where the women had to reflect this sort of just submissive and, you know, just like frail person. And it's like, that's not, that's not the true reflection of feminine energy. For me, I think it's like the nurturing, loving um, persona, you yeah. know, and yep. the men should have that too. Yes. And men have a capacity to be nurturing and compassionate. I mean, when we look at, we look at our evolution, evolutionary theory uh, and how we've evolved as a species, as a humanity, Men have been amazing, very strong tribal leaders. They've been very connected to earth. They've been very physically strong and physically powerful and dominant uh, over their environment in order to survive. And they've also been driven at some point as a transition where they've been driven to be strong and be protective and provide and, mm-hmm. and pursue, whether it be ideas or whether it be food, whether it be shelter to pursue survival even based on, their proficiency to be a man because that's part of being good at being a man is being able to provide and protect and pursue. And that's another conversation, but also because they had, and they carried compassion and love for their tribe, for the people in their lives, for their children, for the women in their lives, for their fellow brothers, for their, their hunter and gatherer small group. There was love there. There was, there was care there. There was, there was a, 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 a want, a yearning to actually serve and, and, and be the best they can be for their tribe and for themselves. 
and, and you can argue why that is. And there, I, I get the various perspectives and it's also because they cared. It's also because there was a compassion. It's also because we needed each other to survive and to thrive, which we're pro-social beings. Mm-hmm. And so to think that men, if they're, if they're going to be leaders, they have to be relentless or subjugating or, or autocratic or whatever it may be, or controlling, that's fallacy. We can be powerful, empowered leaders and be compassionate mm. and be caring and be sensitive to the needs of others, i.e. inclusive. We can be those people. Exactly. And that's, and that's where we have to make that shift in the mindset of, of men yeah. and, and relationships nowadays. And so like you're, const- you're pushing that constantly. And so I love that. And, uh, and it's making a difference. If people are starting to see that because people are getting tired. Men are getting tired of always having to have this expectation and where they can't, they it's can't t- it is tired. be themselves, you know, they can't be yeah. themselves. What I wanted to ask you just to kind of wrap everything up. Yeah is to is um just kind of like some practices if you could make any recommendations when it comes to um like your meditation routine hmm. um and like the your morning routine like i think that yeah. people that's listening to this episode are going to be hungry for that growth and yeah. so even the, some of these practices i'm sure it could you know put them in the right mindset throughout their day Sure, sure, sure. I'm super happy to provide. Um, I, I, I recently just put a, a very short document together on mm-hmm. um, what it means to be, or what it means to have uh, morning routines. Gotcha. And and so I'll, I'll go through. I have a seven a seven step or seven stage process for a morning routine, right? Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> um, and, and I'll just go through it with you if you like. It's Sounds good. Step. Yeah. And and so men or anyone really for that matter can um can use any one of these or they can use all seven together or just use two or three of them whatever works for you so the first one is, is a morning routine firstly the, the first step for having a great morning routine is having a effective evening routine whatever that looks like so being being rested before you actually go to sleep and that could be mean that could mean turning off technical devices technology 30 minutes before you go to sleep or 45 minutes before you go to sleep it could be doing a sitting practice or some meditation listening to some soothing calming music uh, some incense it could be just being deep in your own meditation uh, it could be reading a number of things but having a very uh, consistent regular evening practice that helps with the morning practice number one so first thing toiletry habits this is, this is so overlooked, right? Like we have to literally go to the toilet and let the bowels release because what that does is it creates space in our physiology and it creates space in our mind and in our being. So we can move on to the next stage and the next stage generally after, and it helps with our body clock adjust to the day as well. The next stage for me is morning liquids. I'll have one to two full glasses of water at least, room temperature water, or I'll, I'll have some tea. This just depends. Herbal tea though. No calories, all herbal tea. And, and so this fires up your metabolism. It helps um, hydrate you after you wake up. It helps flush out toxins. It, it, it helps keep your brain tissue um, moist, essentially. And so you can, you can fuel and be attentive and do what you need to do. Okay? Mm-hmm. Next, I'll engage in some form of breath work. The breath work varies, and, and it, really, it really varies based on um, – it, it varies – based on what, I'm, what space I'm in at the time. That's really, really important to understand. Um, yeah, so, so if, I'm, if I have a particular agenda around my breath work, 
I'll, a particular goal I want to achieve, whether it be maybe to uh, oxygenate my body greater, I'll, I'll, focus a particular, I'll focus on a particular type of breath work. For people that are just starting, uh, the Wim Hof method is great. Just start with the Wim Hof, Hof method and that will really help, um, help you get clearer on some breath work practices. Gotcha. After breath work, I have a sitting practice. So the sitting practice for me is it's it, we call it a meditation, but it's it's more than that. Sometimes it's for ten minutes, sometimes it's for an hour, two hours. It just depends. Okay. Generally, <laughs> it's, it's not often two hours, uh, but it, it it can be regularly. Um, but generally, anywhere from sort of fifteen to thirty, forty minutes for me on average is where I'm at. Um, and then again, my sitting practice is is a silent time for me and a stillness time for me, and it really is dependent on what I'm experiencing at that stage in my life and what I want to create. But there's, there's, there's a few components. You go through a, a, a component of observation where you're, I call it the void, where you're just observing what's occurring in your life or in your thoughts or in, in your environment with, with no judgment. Then you can go through an envisioning process or a visualization where you're creating the life that you want with your thoughts. You can go through a process of gratitude and that can really help. And then you can go through a process of, of, of mantras, which, which are self-affirming, uh, statements that help you live the life that you want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so after the sitting practice is a journaling practice. Again, this is about just writing what you want your day to be like, writing about what you experienced yesterday, writing about gratitude. Just write, basically. Just right. write. Tell a story. Just write. Yeah. Got it. Um, after that, there's a, uh, a component of reading. And so reading is really important. Again, 20 to 60 minutes, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but reading is super powerful. And so read whatever you're interested in, whether it be a couple of journal articles, whether it be a book that's, that's aligned with your values because you'll retain it more when you, when you read with what's aligned with your values. Also, use your left hand, your left finger to underline the, the, the sentence as you're reading as well. It'll help you, it'll help you understand it better. And then to help, help you retain it even more, uh, share that with someone or just jump on the phone with someone at some point during the day or even maybe a voice memo in your own words sharing about what you've just read. Maybe you've read wow. one or two or three chapters. That's really important too. Mm-hmm. That's part of the reading process. And then also uh, part of that reading process as well is writing. So you, may, you can write a few dot points as to what you've just read because that helps reinforce what you're learning. There's no point in reading something if we're not learning it and absorbing it. Yeah, and you're not retaining it. uh, Correct, yeah. And so the last component of my morning routine is movement. And so whether that be yoga, whether that be strength training, whether that be martial arts, whether that be going for a long hike or run, whatever it is, just move your body. Kettlebell training, high-intensity training, swimming, it doesn't matter. Just move your body. Um, And then the bonus for me, uh, the the bonus that I have is speak to God, speak to the divine, speak to the universe and ask how you can be a vessel of service today in your day with everyone that you come into contact with. And that's really deeply empowering. Mm, That's a morning routine for me. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all of it. You're very Uh, welcome. That's going to be super helpful for everybody. And for anybody who did want to reach out and get some more great feedback and even look into your services, um, which they can actually do if they look at your, um, your website. So the website, reclaimyourkingdom.com. So again, that's reclaimyourkingdom.com. That's his website. Um, And he does have courses devoted exclusively towards men that you guys can look into. You can contact him through his email, which is steph at stephsifandos, 
stefandos.com. So that I'll spell it out as S-T-E-F. Stefandos is S-I-F-A-N-D-O-S.com. You can also check out his Instagram, which is at Stefanos Stefandos. Thank you so much for being on today, Stefanos. I truly appreciate it. And to everybody else, thank you guys for listening. Until next time. That concludes this episode. If you enjoyed it, feel inspired, and would like to hear more, please subscribe to the Relentless Minds podcast via the link in the show notes or visit LoriJimenez.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.